0: Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome to the Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and across the table on his phone, scrolling and checking the web for answers to the questions that I've written is <laughs> Pastor Rick I'm Wimmer. sending
1: a Memoji to my wife. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're... I could just... We could start texting each other.
1: You want to? Yeah. <laughs> We've never done a total text podcast before. I can make it happen. My emoji looks so much like me; it's not even funny. It does. It's actually pretty weird.
0: It's like the government knows who you are.
1: They would. Started using DuckDuckGo as my as my browser. What is DuckDuckGo? It's a it's a private um, browser that blocks tracking. So Google always, you know, different websites are tracking your activity. Yeah, it's how they always pull up just the right thing that you happen to be thinking about and that's the weird thing have you ever noticed that when you're browsing and then all of a sudden there's an ad for that thing you were thinking about and you didn't even look it up and you didn't say anything I think that I think okay I think that what has happened is they implanted scanning technology into our phones so that as we're looking at the screen it like slowly builds a microchip in our brains and so that's how they track your thoughts like Tom Cruise and Minority Report or something like that yeah, precog. You, I don't actually think that, <laughs> but I I just want to know how do they know? How do they always know? I don't know that you thought about that. And there's an ad. There, yeah. That's when it gets creepy. But DuckDuckGo blocks some of that stuff, so there's the illusion of privacy.
0: But still, they know how. I don't know. We're always being watched. I least, know. At it, least it, you it's, are. It's
1: like you're, you're trapped in this idea of going off the grid. I, no,
0: it's not possible. Who's going to do that? How it's do not you possible.
1: do No, there's. It's not possible. Not really. Yeah. Unless you want to be super extreme, in which case, you know, you're one of like the two people who can actually pull that off. Yeah. This makes me mad. I, Why do you start this podcast off this way? Because you were texting. I've been back in a few weeks, and and then I'm all upset. <laughs>
0: Well, it, it started with you being on your phone, and then you... Esco- Nobody knew. You escalated. You
1: br- Nobody knew. <laughs> if your wife texts you, and you don't have time to send her an emoji, even if you're in the middle of a podcast, then you need to resort your priorities.
0: <laughs> I, I just turn my phone off.
1: What happened to the podcast last week? I don't,
0: I don't turn my phone off. Um... <laughs> Yeah, obviously the podcast didn't happen last week. Uh okay. my wi- my wife uh got sick. Um and so rude. I seriously. And so I stayed home with with her and, and the kids last week, taking care of the kids while she was literally
1: bedridden for mm. forty eight hours. See, that's even better than a memoji. Yeah actually showing so. up. <laughs>
0: Is Jen sick? Do you need to go home? No. Oh,
1: okay. All right. No. I think through a piano. Okay.
0: Yeah. So that's why that's why our podcast didn't happen last week. And I was kind of excited for uh, last week's podcast because we were going to get into uh, the nitty gritty of um, <laughs> Jesus' baptism and uh, his temptations in the wilderness. But alas, it didn't happen. So, do you want to do it right now? Get that
1: corn we- out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great.
0: Your mind was, you you were spinning over there. I could see it. You're trying to think of a Nacho Libre quote.
1: That would not be offensive. Yeah, because <laughs> I had one. But. <laughs> Nacho!
0: Uh, so good. So <laughs> is good. it? Yes, it is. It is so good. I, was, I had a text conversation with Jesse and Stacy.
1: Oh, you text also?
0: Yes, I do. Um, and I texted them last night, and then I was scrolling through the text conversation that we had in the past, and it was just literally Nacho Libre gifts that we were sending. The whole time. Sending <laughs> back and forth. And it made me laugh, so.
1: I've only seen that movie one time. I own it, but I've seen it once. Yes. And it was recently, yeah. like in the past year. And because Jen watched it with me, I'm pretty confident thats that I'll still only have watched it once by the time that I die. <laughs> Unless it's like a guy's night or something.
0: I remember the day that you watched it. Oh, we, man, there were so many gifts. When we were coming back into so the office. So many.
1: It was just... Things just made more sense. Yeah. <laughs>
0: You understood why I am the way that I am, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the big takeaway. Yeah. All right, so we've talked about government overreach and Nacho Libre. Um,
1: Where, the government overreach. Yeah, phone Oh, the tech. tech. Now, that's Bill Gates. Yeah. Who is... In China.
0: Yeah. Which I think China as a whole would be like... A,
1: I wouldn't say China anymore. <laughs> it it'll, it'll flag this podcast. Yeah. It's true. This is getting weird. What are we talking about today, man?
0: Yes, we're talking about uh the Reformation, which happened five hundred and four four years ago. years ago. Yeah,
1: five hundred and four years ago.
0: Five it's the five hundred and fourth five oh four anniversary of mm-hmm. Martin Luther's well, on October thirty first. Um his uh nailing of the ninety five theses. There you go. I got there. You did. <laughs> yeah. It took
1: a minute. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, but yeah, uh, this is a month, I think, that you and I both enjoy. Oh, um, I love the whole month. The whole month. It's Reformation month. Yeah. We we enjoy talking about history and reading about history. And mm-hmm. So right now you're reading a book on the Apostolic Fathers, correct?
1: Not on, just by. By. I'm the... reading the Apostolic Fathers. Okay. Yeah. Which would be the, what? It's the earliest Christian writings after the New Testament. Okay. So... First and second Clement, uh, the Shepherd of Hermas, the Didache, which is um, a short treatise of um, apostolic teachings that is pretty pretty closely written to the New Testament, yeah. um, the letters of Polycarp and Ignatius, and uh, you get some pretty detailed and interesting recounting of some of the early mar- martyrs. Yeah. And so you're you're talking about people who were students of in in the generations just after the apostles it's pretty interesting yeah um but it's it you know i've been thinking about it as i'm reading their letters um and there is a real difference between inspired scripture and these writings Hmm. um both in manner and style and also in definitely in some content you get some pretty interesting ways of using some scripture texts that you think where did that come from and Mm. how did you get there Mm. Um, anyways just kind of reading that this month because I I hadn't read it before so yeah
0: has it been encouraging to you
1: yeah it has good good we have a long history of um, a spiritual heritage yeah and this is pretty close to the headwaters
0: yeah which is I think which is why we we um respect and take seriously things like the Reformation and, and mm-hmm. church history. Um because we are following a lineage of faithful ministers and men and women um uh who who followed in the footsteps of these apostolic fathers, right? And Peter and James and John and um ultimately
1: Christ. Um so Steve Lawson has written some really good stuff on on that, and he, he particularly focuses in on, um, well, he has his long line of Godly Men series yeah. um, on on like Wycliffe, Luther, Calvin, William Carey, which is the next book the Mission Society is going to be reading as the Missionary Fellowship of William Carey. Oh, nice! Um, from that series, awesome. Um, there's some other authors that that write besides Lawson, but then he has a. Um, a really kind of a thick volume called Pillars of Grace, and he he goes through church history from the f- the second century on, so after the New Testament, and shows how um key figures have uh, throughout church history have created an unbroken line of, and some to more degree than another, um, but uh, preaching sovereign grace. Yeah you know, the doctrines of grace yeah. in one form or another. Yeah. Just to show that the scriptural witness is unbroken. Yeah. God has preserved his truth. Sometimes it seems more obscure and darker than others, which again, you know, there was a reformation for a reason, Right. but it's not because God had ever allowed the gospel to disappear. Right. And that's yeah. an encouragement to us. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it really is. It really is. And it's interesting because, um, you know we look at at the reformation and we think of martin luther and his nailing of the 95 theses and him standing up to uh the catholic church um as we can almost put it in a bubble of you know this is the christian thing that he was doing but it actually had a large impact not just on the church um but the world um you know, there's, there's key moments, obviously, throughout history, right? You have Christ showing up. You have, you know, the world wars. You have, you have these different moments throughout history, discovery of the new world and, and all these different things. But the Reformation is one of those things that is, is really foundational for, for how we think about um, history now. Um, but what are what are some ways uh, in which the Reformation has impacted history and our culture and the world um that we're living in now?
1: Oh man. Um yeah, so you're right. You're it's not it's not putting the case too strongly to say that it reshaped Western civilization as we know it. Mm-hmm. Um as it spread, there's a direct light like there you could make the case that The United States of America is a result of the spread of Protestant Reformation Hmm. Um, as that theology um, spread. And as England became um, now, of course, God works through, you know, sometimes very wicked men. Yeah. To do great things, yeah. and when you look, for example, like at the founding of the Anglican churches, England bucks Roman Catholicism. The the, the motives for that with Henry the Eighth are quite awful mm-hmm. um, and unholy. But then God uses that, and He raises up a robust English Reformation, and that you know the Puritans grew out of that, yeah. and then that theology travels to the New World and founded the explicit foundation for um, the United States of America. Um, So that's one of the things I'm grateful for. It's also interesting to see that you can trace historically how the spread of Reformation theology led to the most wealthy nations in world history. Hmm. You know, what we look at as the First World largely is overlapping with where did that theology go? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that the Reformation did is it brought the scriptures to the people Mm -hmm. and people began to read the bible for themselves they began to study it by themselves Mm -hmm. not just receiving whatever morsels their priest said they could receive usually in latin they went back to the sources went back to the sources in their own language Um, and it taught the people um, the fear of the lord in a way that was very personal Um, they sought you know they sought personal relationship with the Holy One yeah. and a relationship that didn't just go off in one compartment, but what it really did was it re- it reclaimed the vision of Jesus Christ for all of life, yeah. that got into their politics, that got into their economics, that got into their um, education, that got into their um, of course their church life, their family life. Um, and so when you when you think about that, mm-hmm. it reshaped kingdoms. One, of, It also had some um, unintended negative effects like Martin Luther immediately after he um, his theology started to get really broadly published the peasants grabbed on to some of his writings yeah. and revolted and there was a totally violent revolt in yeah. Germany yeah. That, that Luther preached against yeah. and he saw it as an aberration in a misapplication of his theology but of course the the, the landscape of Christendom throughout the world had totally shifted Back then there was the Catholic Church, but now we have Protestantism with its, and specifically evangelicalism, um, which gets back to this, the gospel, you know, uh, churches that believe in the biblical gospel, and so salvation by grace through faith alone, that's an evangelical conviction. And... With, of course, with its 10,000 plus denominations <laughs> throughout the world, which is, that's a different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but none of those would exist without the Protestant Reformation. Right. And that's just right. a few thoughts. Yeah. There's way more, I mean, tens of books written about it, but those are just some things that came to my mind.
0: So when when Martin Luther took a stand against, um, and he wasn't even standing, he wasn't trying to remove himself from the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. He was just trying to reform the evils that were taking place within the Church. Right, like there was, the, yeah, the clergy were taking advantage.
1: He just of... wanted a conversation. Yeah, that literally was what the ninety-five theses were. Right, it was, it was this, it was like going to the town bulletin board and saying, "Hey, having a debate on Saturday. Yeah, you want to join?" Yeah. And it was an invitation to um, fellow Catholic leaders or priests to discuss these things. And it was widely published, kind of unintentionally to him, you know, and it. We know where kind of where it went from there, right? But he just literally he just wanted to have a conversation because he was seeing some abuses that he like when he writes the ninety five theses. When you read that, he doesn't seem like he he's not saying Pope Leo that you know is evil. He actually gives Leo the benefit of the doubt and he's appealing to the Pope and trying to inform him about abuses. Mm-hmm. Little did he know Leo was totally corrupt mm-hmm. and in on them. Mm-hmm. But
0: yeah. So You're right he didn't aim to split. Yeah. But it, it obviously it resulted in that. Mm-hmm. And so the reform was meant for the church because of what was taking place, but it ultimately resulted in the reform of societies, the reform of marriages and families, the reform of governments and and all these different things. So it wasn't just a uh segregated church
1: event. Right. Right. Totally. It was not. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, like, well, and I said on Sunday in our mission seminar, um, in the Great Commission, the command is to go and disciple the peoples of the world and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ commands. So discipleship, which ought to always look like a changed life, is always it begins with right teaching. So living is always downstream of doctrine, Hmm. which is why there is no such thing as doctrine that doesn't make a difference. Hmm. There's no such thing as a a biblical doctrine without a, so what in the day to day. Yeah. In in good pastoring, in good teaching ought to always help people make that connection. Um, We saw that in the Reformation. Hmm. It started with, um so you know justification biblical justification and the insistence that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone mm-hmm. we get that from scripture alone mm-hmm. and it's to the glory of God alone um justification by faith in the five solas um ended up exploding the world mm-hmm. for the good for the good <laughs> for good <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, uh, uh this isn't on your questions, but why why do you think the Catholic Church was so adamant of of keeping that in the dark? Why why would they want to silence somebody like Martin Luther?
1: Power is what I is my suspicion. Hmm. Um because when you get that much power and that much wealth and that much corruption, Okay, so we heard about this, quote, systemic injustice that apparently is at the foundation of our nation Mm -hmm. um, and runs all through, which I don't believe for a moment, um, even though, of course, there's corruption wherever humans are involved. Mm -hmm. But if you want to talk about systemic injustice, look at the Catholic Church in the 16th century. Mm -hmm. It was filthy rich. It was terribly corrupt. It was unthinkable in its its evils and the 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 sexual indiscretions of the priests and it's just it was not a good situation well what's when you've got that much power and that much corruption you are deeply invested in maintaining it because wherever that kind of evil exists a regenerated heart does not exist and so what does jesus say in john 1 um or i'm sorry in john 3 um the light has come. Well, no, that is John one light. The light is coming to, to the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. Mm-hmm. And then in John three, it says that, that those whose deeds are evil, hate the light. They hate yeah. the light. Yeah. So I think that's why they had such a vested interest in keeping that whole thing down.
0: Yeah. So it's, uh, the reformation was a battle for truth. Yes. Battle for, tr- battle for truth. And, we, we know where Martin Luther, I think for the most part, I think we know where Martin Luther was in, in his role in, in the Reformation. But who are some other main characters uh, who were vital to to the Reformation?
1: Yeah. And I'm going to just throw out some names and a couple tidbits, but um, if someone wants to go deeper at an really basic overview level um, and I'm probably going to go read these two at some point here because um, it's church history is like what it's kind of like hermeneutics you know how to study the Bible mm-hmm. you can really never get too much of it because there's always more to understand and keep mm-hmm. sharp on mm-hmm. um, but Ligonier um, has a series of articles the first of which is Re- the Reformation and the Men Behind It by Steve Lawson and then it has links at the bottom of that article and it's like a five minute read um, where it covers short biographies of different key reformers. Um, Ulrich Zwingli is a name that we know, but a lot of people don't know. He was a Swiss reformer, and actually he was, um, and he's kind of known as the father of the Swiss Reformation. He—it seems like he came to an evangelical understanding of, of the gospel, in other words, different than what the Catholic Church was teaching Mm -hmm. and identical to what Luther would then teach around 1516, before he even heard of Martin Luther. So we have to understand that God is, you know, the God of the whole church. And so it's not surprising at all that what Luther would make famous worldwide wasn't just something that Luther discovered, you know, because Mm -hmm. the illuminating spirit of God working through his word Was awakening hearts Mm -hmm. to this same truth. Yeah, we go back to fifteen seventeen, and the ninety five theses. But Zwingli got there too, um, around the same time. Um, And he in sixteen or in fifteen twenty three wrote something called the sixty seven theses, and it was about you know against Catholic abuses and. false doctrines that had arisen during the medieval period um so he was really the father of the swiss reformation he's the one whose um, view of the lord's supper um being a memorial basically this is it was a remembrance an important one because jesus instituted it but merely a remembrance his view was quite different from luther's view of the lord's supper where jesus was um present with the elements Mm -hmm. um and they actually, well, they went to this big meet and greet, you know, this big meetup called the Marburg Colloquy. A bunch of different reformers did, including Martin, Martin Luther's friend, Philip Melanchthon. Um, Ocolumpadius, Ocul- he's one of the reformers. He's got the f- <laughs> most fun name to to try to say. And they there were like 15 points, and they agreed on 14 of them, but the 15th was the Lord's Supper. Hmm. And Luther and Zwingli couldn't see eye to eye, and Luther was so staunchly against Zwingli's view that they ended up breaking fellowship at that 15th point, which are just like, hey, this is the Reformation. Can we, like, stomach the one point and realize that we are working for the same thing? Right, Wouldn't happen. They wouldn't do it. And through tears, Zwingli sought to move forward with Luther, but Luther wouldn't have it, and Luther just chalked it up to God is blind as Zwingli's eyes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, classic Luther fashion. (laughs) Um, But so there's Zwingli in Geneva, or in Switzerland, um, and he would be a foundation upon which John Calvin would then step mm-hmm. up. Um, William Tyndale, up in England, um, was earlier than Zwingli, and we know him as the one who brought the Bible to the English people. He was the one who, against the commands of the king, translated the scriptures into English, mm-hmm. and he paid for it with his life. But he was the Reformation without Tyndale would be a different story. Uh, a lesser-known guy, but still very well-known, um, Heinrich Bullinger. Hmm. Uh, he was Zwingli's heir. Hmm. He was a um, he. He he did so much to publish Reformation doctrine. Um, he wrote more than Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli combined. Hmm. And, and in fact, the first time I ever heard of Heinrich Bullinger was before I knew what Calvinism was, and it was because uh, my wife was. Um, she was transcribing one of Bollinger's major works for um, a professor who worked for, um, who also did work for one of the, I think it was Accordance Bible software. Hmm. And so she was transcribing a, an ancient, an old book of Bollinger's so that it would be put in EPUB format on Accordance software. Oh, wow. She worked on that for years. Wow. Um, but there's, there's, Bullinger. of course there's calvin um in geneva and you can't really overestimate how central calvin is um and we've talked about him enough where i'll just go on to john knox who yeah. we touched on last time i was on i believe yeah uh he he came to geneva when he was fleeing um england from the reign of bloody mary um and he studied under calvin and then went back to um Great Britain and um, up to Scotland. He was, he's really the father of the Scottish reformation yeah. and he had a ton to say about resistance to tyrants and really looking at how reformation theology applied um, to the church and the state. And uh, he was just a, a beast of a man. It was, he was awesome. And you're actually reading, I think yeah. you're reading about him this month. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can say more there if you want.
0: Yeah. I, so yeah, I, one thing that stood out to me while reading uh through knox or about knox rather is um the fact that he was like five foot three or four like he was a short guy <laughs> yeah uh and he would have these meetings with mary queen of scots um and she was like six foot and <laughs> okay and so she she would call him in because he would call her out in his sermons and, yeah and he would just be so faithful. He was just this small little Scottish man that, that was faithful to the Scriptures and called her out. And um, Yeah. So, old John the little John the Baptist there. Well, John the Baptist, yeah, I love with his it. big beard. Um, I love his beard. Yeah.
1: He he is probably the reformer whose picture um, gives the best beard yeah. of any of them.
0: Yeah. He was a galley slave for, for the French um, Navy.
1: Oh, that's so right. He, he, would he be, was enslaved for like two years, right?
0: Yeah, nineteen months. And so wow. he he rode in a in a galley ship for nineteen months and just his faithfulness there. Yeah. Um is is pretty remarkable. No, thank you bear. No thank but, you yeah. bear. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways. And
1: then um just one more you know, Theodore Beza. He was John Calvin's successor yeah. in Geneva. So if Bollinger was Zwingli's success for, successor in um, in Zurich, um Calvin's successor in Geneva was was Theodore Beza and he really carried Calvin's ideas um further to where some people have even referred to him as being more the first calvinist hmm. the first calvinist yeah. Oh, yeah, he uh, he did it. a lot of work on the Greek New Testament in fact his textus receptus um which is the 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 Greek New Testament um that was up until it, the way they did Greek New Testaments changed at the end of the 1800s mm-hmm. His was the one that the translators of the King James Bible used. And so our King James Bible, you know, thank you, Beza, yeah. for your work, because that's what's behind our Greek New Testament yeah. um, translated into King James.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So those are just some of the some main of the players.
0: And they had, they all had their different roles. They yeah. all had their different roles. Um, you know, we know Luther because of his role, but all these guys had there are different parts to play in the advancement of the gospel.
1: Yeah. Um, And a totally interesting study, um, you know, and just, I've only looked at little tidbits here or there, but um, is the women of the reformation. You think about their wives, you think about the women who were behind a lot of what was going on in the reformation, just faithful in it. I mean, where, what, what kind of reformation would there have been without Katie von Bora's beer? Yeah, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> she she was really famous for that. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, but no, seriously though, they're the women of the Reformation. There's a great legacy there. Yeah, and I, I'd like to look more into that
0: because it wasn't just their husbands' lives that were at stake; their lives were at stake too. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, Rick, as we're we're, it seems to be that we're moving into a dark age. Um, in our, in our society as a church, not, not necessarily here at Sun Valley, but, uh, the larger context, um, uh, our society, the church, uh, it seems to be moving in a, in a, into the dark ages, if you will. Um, what is a, what does a modern reformation look like
1: well it'll um it'll have at its foundation the same commitments as the first one mm-hmm. which is going to be um a dogmatic insistence on scripture speaking mm-hmm. and scripture being obeyed so you know we have the same temptations as sinners of every age which is to heap on tradition mm-hmm. and onto scripture and to input our own ideas and call it gospel. But, and and that's because Satan has been trying to corrupt the gospel ever since there was one. And so we we have to know, we have to know scripture. It was scripture that drove the Reformation, Mm -hmm. right? We have to return to the gospel regularly because the thing that was being recovered in the Reformation was the evangelical gospel. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that that humans sinful humans love to do is to heap uh, works upon works upon works and justify themselves Mm -hmm. um, subtly. But it happens, especially wherever the gospel is assumed and forgotten. And there has to be um, an insistence on faithful expository preaching. When you look at the day-to-day lives of the reformers, they were preachers preeminently. Mm -hmm. Um, Luther preached a crazy number of sermons every week. So did Calvin. And they did it by opening up Scripture and starting in a verse, moving on from there, and then starting at the verse they left off from the, the sermon before. And if the church is going to— because there is no Reformation outside the church. This idea of a non-churched Christian is completely foreign to Scripture. And if I know of somebody who— is claiming to be a Christian for any length of time who just isn't part of a church because they choose not to be. My prayer for them is for their salvation because I do not assume that they're saved because mm. there's that, it's that foreign of an idea mm-hmm. that, that there would be a saint away from the people of God. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be reforming as the church, seeking unity in the church, seeking to not give any strongholds to Satan within the church, because Paul says in second Timothy that the church is the pillar. No, it's first Timothy three, the pillar and buttress of the truth. Yeah. We are the guardians of the truth. The The scriptures were not entrusted to the publishing houses. They were entrusted to the church. Publishing houses rise and fall. And right now they hold the copyrights to our, most of our English translations, all of them, except for the King James. And we have to be guardians of the truth and not leave it to others. And so yeah. that requires more than just faithful elders in a local church. That requires faithful saints mm-hmm. in the pews, mm-hmm. like Bereans, searching the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Because when the people of God get lazy there, the truth goes out You know here. Yeah. So those are just a, a couple of thoughts. And we have to remember that for all the darkness that may come, History's heading in a, a, on a trajectory. That trajectory is to King Jesus sitting on his throne, yeah. ruling over everything and the nations bowing before him. Yeah. Things will be rough along the way. And that's to be expected because he kind of told us that would happen. Yeah. So, you know, as as some have said, I, I think Doug Wilson has said this, cheer up, things are far worse than you can imagine. Hmm. Um, let's resist the temptation to get bogged down in how bad things look because they can always get worse and history shows that they do. <laughs> so um, God is faithful. We can take him at his word, bind ourselves to his word, and pray through it. And that's key. Yeah. Pray through it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I, uh, I'm teaching the, the high school stu- high school and junior high students through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, I just taught through the chapter 14 of Acts. And at the conclusion of this, so this is, this is Peter or <laughs> Paul and Barnabas's um, first missionary journey. And they go and they make their first couple stops and they wrap back around back to Antioch. And um, this is where, Paul gets stoned in in Lystra. They they take him out. They they throw him stones at him and and they think he's dead and they drag him out of the city and and it says that the disciples came around him, stood by him and he got back up and went back into the city. So, they think he's dead. He goes back into the city. He leaves, goes to Darby, comes back and then they start going back to all these different cities that they were in. And it says while they were doing this, while they were going back to these cities, um, they were going and strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had pointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so it, it, as they're, as they're making their way back, they're encouraging the disciples You know, every single city, they were threatened with their life, but they're going back into those cities, encouraging those disciples there, saying, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Yep. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think that's our call Mm -hmm. now in in these dark times is keep going. Stay the course. Yeah.
1: Onward, Christian soldier. Yeah. Hey, we haven't sung that at church. Do you want to lead that? No, that's not my job.
0: (laughs) So... Our call to you, Churches, onward.
1: Christian soldier marching into... Yeah. Be a little more on key on Sunday, yeah. But yeah, you've got the idea.
0: <laughs> church, we love you. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.